Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hi, I'm Susan from Safeway. Are you ready for a road trip? You can save on gas by shopping at Safeway. It's easy. Shop at Safeway and earn gas reward points. Then save up to 20 cents per gallon at participating Chevron or Texaco stations or up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations. That's right, up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations just for shopping with us. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Limited to 25 gallons in a single fill of other restrictions and exclusions apply. Visit store or Safeway.com for details. This is Susan from Safeway, and we'll see you soon. Recording live from Jake's Sports and Spirits in the historic Rhino District of Denver, Colorado, it's the Pickaxe Podcast, presented by Denver Stiffs. Now, here is your host, Adam Mates. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Pickaxe Podcast, presented by Denver Stiffs. I am your host, Adam Mates, and I'm joined today by one of the biggest trolls in the SB Nation network. <laughs> no, no, really, really cool guy who I've gotten to know over the last couple of years. Writes writer and podcaster and video personality now for Silver Screen and Roll. It's Anthony Irwin. <laughs> I didn't know you rolled your R's on your last name. No, you, you're fancy like that. Yeah. I'm I'm actually Anthony Irwin. Is that, is that right? <laughs> um, well, uh, thanks for listening to the show before just now. Like this is clearly your first time tuning in, but uh, I won't hold it against you. No, um, no. So I wanted to have you on because the Nuggets just played the Lakers two times in a row. So you watched the Nuggets play twice this week which is probably more than anyone outside of denver so you i wanted to uh i wanted to get an outsider's opinion on on the games and but but more importantly on the players the young players in particular emmanuel moutier jamal murray yusef nurkic those are the guys that i think nuggets fans have their eyes on uh most closely right now and then uh to return the favor I would uh, provide some insight or perspective, rather, on on your guys as youngsters. So, that sound like a plan? No, definitely. Do you want to like? Do you want to alternate back and forth? So, like, I do one, you do one. I do oh one yeah, one. I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch you. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna throw some I'm gonna throw some softballs your way, <laughs> and I'm gonna see I'm gonna see how hot you can make these takes about the players. <laughs> so, so I'll start with obviously the most interesting one. Um, Emmanuel Moutier and D'Angelo Russell are kind of linked together um, just because they were the first two point guards taken in last year's draft. Moody, I think, was ranked higher as a prospect out of high school, and then obviously D'Angelo went ahead. Um, They went at each other a little bit (laughs) over the last two games. D'Angelo obviously kind of destroyed him. Not even kind of destroyed him. He absolutely destroyed him over these two games. What did you take away from that matchup? First of all, do you think D'Angelo Russell, like, do you think that's a rivalry for him? Is it? Do you think it, that that he kind of he fills his link to that as I think Moutier does to him? No, I definitely do. He's the kind of guy who 
takes those things into account. Like I think he took personal delight in that he was, you know, because Moody, like you said, was I think he was the top prospect coming out of high school, right? Right. And then he went, he, he played in China and then came back over here. And because he wasn't seen as much while he was there in China, he, his, his draft talk, draft stock kind of plummeted a little bit. Well, and speaking. he was, and he was injured in China. So he yeah. actually, he actually missed most of the season. So it's kind of like he sat out a year. Right. And, and so I think for, for Russell, uh, cause they, they competed against each other, you know, all through high school. And then, you know, Russell's hearing all these things about, and about Moutier and then, you know, like you said, he kind of leapfrogged him, and I think he 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 legitimately loved that he was able to leapfrog Moutier. And I don't know if it's necessarily fair that he did so. Like you said, Moutier dealt with health stuff, and I just don't think you know guys going overseas to play basketball. Those coaches aren't necessarily as invested in improving guys' draft stock as college coaches are because. In college, if you if you don't improve guys' draft stock, nobody's going to go to your college. Whereas if you're if you're playing overseas, then you know it's more like, well, what can actually get me wins out here in this league that I'm that I'm coaching in? So right. I don't I don't know if it's it was it was is necessarily fair to compare those guys uh, on draft night, but that's kind of how it turns out. They're both point guards. They were both taken in the lottery, and they love playing against each other. We saw it in the summer league. You know, even right. that that very first year, and then uh, as as the years have kind of gone along, they just love playing against each other, and it's really kind of cool because their games are so different than each other's that it's it's kind of a fun matchup. And over the last couple games, I think obviously Russell got the better of the, the you know the better end of that, but it wouldn't shock me at all over the next couple games and in, in the regular season to see those thing you know to see those roles reversed. And that's kind of a, that's an important point. It, it's so funny because you go all of August without any basketball. You go most of September without any basketball, and we're all like jonesing for basketball talk and analysis and stuff. So a preseason game feels like it's significant when really <laughs> nobody remembers who scored points in the preseason last year. Like it doesn't matter. So as much as yeah, like you said, D'Angelo really really looked like twice the player as Moutier was. I think over the two games. I wouldn't be surprised if those things flipped in the regular season again. So, yeah. um, but you brought up an interesting point in that the the two players are so opposite of each other in so many ways, because Moutier is kind of explosive, physical, um, you know, not a shooter, but kind of gets to the rim. And then uh, D'Angelo is such a smooth player, almost nonchalant. Like he he's on the court almost looks like he's not trying very hard but he is it's just that he has that he just plays at such a smooth pace and and never seems like he's overexerting energy so it is kind of an interesting style fight but what did you see from Moody the last two games you know kind of break down his game from your perspective i'm biased in this respect because i used to be a shooting coach so i i, I would almost say that i almost overvalue shooting but his shot is is really worrisome to me and that's kind of what what jumps off the court to me now now his athleticism is is more than enough to make up for it he's really long uh i like his dribbling style you know for for the most part he can he he defends the 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 ball very well in terms of keeping the defender away from it and stuff uh but but when he was open tonight i actually he was he was wide open today there was nobody within i would say 7 feet of him 10 feet of him even and he went to you know he went to rise up and and 
as he was shooting, I, I kind of chuckled. I couldn't, I, I found myself <laughs> chuckling and, and I'm, you know, I really, you know, I, I apologize for it. I don't want to come off as, you know, offensive when I say that, but. Oh, you can be a troll. Go ahead and put your troll hat on. <laughs> it's all right. Anthony. We all know. <laughs> I, I, I feel bad for the guy. Cause like the guy that I, he, he reminds me of, but more explosive is, is Rondo where he's so long and he's in and, and Rondo at, at his peak was was you know kind of you, you didn't quite understand how athletic he was until he you know he really decided all right I'm going to get out in this transition I'm going to I'm going to elevate get to the basket or whatever Moutier's a lot more explosive but when you when I used to watch Rondo shoot in those in those especially in the seven game series that the Lakers played where Phil basically put Kobe on Rondo and said if you're anywhere within seven feet of Rondo, you're working way too hard defensively. <laughs> and I watched Moutier play, and you know, if I was coaching against him, I would say, look, the only way he's going to beat you is if he gets by you, if he gets into the key, if he if he's able to to break down your defense and then kick it out to an actual shooter. And if you let him do that, that's not just a a, a physical breakdown; that's a mental breakdown. You shouldn't allow that to happen. And when I saw him shoot that shot tonight, I just said to myself, yeah, I, unless he fixes that, I don't know if he's necessarily going to be a, a legitimate night-in, night-out threat to, and, to any team. Yeah, and you see that with the, just the pick-and-roll coverage. D'Angelo yeah. went over under every single screen today, every high pick-and-roll. And, I mean, Moutier would even receive screens inside the three-point line. You know, at the top of the key where almost always it's like a foot or two outside the three-point line. He'd get him inside, and D'Angelo would still go under him. Mm-hmm. So... So, yeah, that, that speaks to that. But I will say, you know, Moutier shot 21% in November uh, from behind the arc last year, 20% in December, 33% in January, 28% in February, 39% in March, and 36% in April. So the numbers kind of improved as the months went on. I mean, it was much better towards the end of the year. And mm-hmm. I do think, just mechanically, I think he worked on his shot and and made some progress there. But it's obviously very he, I don't think he's ever going to be a 40% three-point shooter. If he can just get up to like the 36 area consistently or 35 even, uh, I, I think that would probably be enough. But as you can see, you know, he's, he's, he's not there right now by any means. The, the, the thing that I kind of noticed with Moutier is when he's shooting, like I, you know, you, you, want your, you want to shoot through the basketball, right? Like that, ideally, you shoot, your, your, your shooting stroke goes directly through the basketball. And I kind of see his... He's right-handed, and I see his right hand kind of slip to the left of the ball, to where his right wrist is kind of cockeyed a little bit, and, and it it creates kind of this weird backspin that isn't full-on, you know, Joe Kim Noah tornado style, but it's it, it it you know that kind of awkward spin uh, isn't going to create you know true bounces on the rim, and and yeah, I mean, if if the you know as you said the percentage is improved. But in order to be consistent, you can't trust, you know, other, unless he's you know aiming for the left side of the rim all the time so that the ball can kind of spin back into the rim off of the bounce. It just doesn't make, you know, it, it, it doesn't lead me to believe that he's going to be very successful consistently shooting like that. Yeah, he definitely has a, a, a lot of work to do and a long way to go. I thought, I thought tonight he uh, really pushed the ball in transition really well. I thought his best possessions were the ones where he got out in the open court. He looks like he he looks like he's in better shape than he was last year. 
Um, he had a handful, he had a handful of like really loud turnovers, meaning like just really, really, really bad ones, unforced turnovers, Mm -hmm. but, but throwing those out, um, and I don't know if you can just chalk those up to like unlucky or what, because he has them so frequently. But if you just throw those out, I thought, I thought in the open court and early and early in transition, he was really, really good tonight. And that's kind of the silver lining, I guess, um, to his game. The one thing I'll say about him is that I don't think Malone's doing him any favors with some of the lineups that they're experimenting with in this preseason. They're playing Nurkic and Jokic together in the first game. They played Nurkic and Kenneth Fareed to start the game uh, tonight. That's that's always going to clog the paint when you have two two bigs like that, especially the way they're playing him. And I think Moutier's best is going to be best when he's surrounded by as many shooters as possible and gets to run high pick and roll. So I'm very curious to see if Malone's going to use him with, say, maybe Kenneth Fareed at center or Jokic at center, but Wilson Chandler at the four, because I think those will be his most productive lineups. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, Wilson Chandler didn't play tonight, right. so that's going to that's gonna tweak some of the lineups anyway. But, uh, yeah, I'd like to see him out there with, with either uh, Gallo or Wilson Chandler at the four, and then, you know, if you're going to play Nurkic, then – you're hoping the only thing he's going to be on the court for is to set screens and and roll hard to the basket. But other than that, you know, I I, I much prefer Jokic there because you're just you're you're expanding the lane for everybody, and that's kind of what the Lakers have focused on when Mozgov hasn't been on the court. Is if they have like Tarek Black on the court, his yeah. only job is to set screens and roll really really hard. But other than that, he spends almost no time you know, posting up or actually clogging the lane so that you have as much space as possible for D'Angelo Russell or Jordan Clarkson or, or Jose Calderon, who's gotten some, some productive minutes at backup point guard. <laughs> I, yes. It's so fun. I, I, I sent this tweet tonight and, and I kind of felt bad because I, I do like Marcel Huertas. And, and if, if, uh, Kirk is, is, is listening to us, if, if Kirk serious face is listening to us from, from the from uh, Maz Moneyball, uh, he's like personal friends with Huertas. I like the guy, but Calderon <laughs> is so much better than than he is. And, and That's funny. I, I almost like felt bad. I was watching tonight, and the Lakers were linked to Calderon basically throughout Pau Gasol's tenure out here. And and watching him and and the way he's been able to manage the second units with the Lakers it really made me think. Like, man, that would have been really fun to have him. As the as a point guard with with Pow out here, that'd have been Cal- great. Calderon is is first team all looks like a scrub, like guys that if you just saw on the street, you'd be like, that's not a basketball player. Right. I mean, he looks like he's forty five yeah. and skinny, and he looks like a he looks, he looks like, like he a middle school marbles before every game. Yeah. Like, he's just... Yeah. That's just the European look with the, like the five o'clock shadow. Yeah. And, yeah, but no, but he looks like a science teacher from middle school or something. But yeah. let's move on to D'Angelo because. I mean, he's the talk of the weekend, I would say, not just in the series, but I think I think in the NBA because he – I think the Nuggets helped him out a little bit, both with some of their pick-and-roll coverage, which we'll get into. But he looked like – I mean, he looked like he's ready to take a giant leap this year. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think part of that giant leap is going to be perceived because there's this narrative about him in his rookie year that he wasn't that good, and I don't – agree with it at all <laughs> and I'm, 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 I'm biased I will I will completely admit to being biased about Russell uh, but but because of the whole you know Nick Young snapchat fiasco and 
the stupidity which is, that's which is a big deal though. Let's not I don't think you should brush that to the side because I'm all about the X's and O's of basketball and breaking things down from that perspective. But that the Snapchat thing and just the way he handled it, at least publicly, I thought was very it was just very immature. And when something like that happens, you kind of worry like, well, what else? You know, how is he going to handle just growing in the NBA? So I don't as much as it can be overblown, I still think it's an important thing. Well, all right. So I, I, I don't know if it's a semantic argument that we're having here, but in terms of the actual act, it was highly immature. You know, recording somebody without their knowing is about as immature. And by the way, you're, you're recording this, right, Adam? We're, we know this. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> but but uh, that act in and of itself was highly immature and – and you know the the argument that I made was you know maybe Nick Young shouldn't cheat on his fiance, but uh, of course. But you know, in terms of D'Angelo Russell's actual acting actions in and of himself, that was not the right thing to do, and and that's not a hot take at all. But after you know recording him and and in the you know in the fallout of of all of those actions. You know, he did go publicly, and he said, "I was, I was incredibly. It was stupid of me to to record him." And he apologized profusely. And all, you know, there was no point. What about where he what, said, what about the what about the Popovich thing, though? Right? Because Popovich just had some comments about how difficult he was to handle. Is that right? Oh, I didn't see. I didn't see those. Was it Popovich or was it was it somebody else? Man, I've heard. I've, heard I, I've definitely heard. I mean, while we were out there in in Summer League for while we were out there in Vegas, like we heard quite a few people that we trust saying that there were rumors of that. But like conversely, and and look, John Ireland, you know, is 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 gets some of his paychecks from the Lakers. But we had John Ireland on on Lockdown Lakers recently, and he said that he didn't see any of that. You know, so. Mm-hmm. I don't. Okay. The, it's kind of. It depends on who you're talking to. I've heard it from enough people that you and I both trust that there was some sco- stuff going on behind the scenes. But then conversely, he was 19 years old. Like I was a humongous prick when I was 19. Like, I'm still. I'm still terrible to deal with. I'm still highly immature. <laughs> Uh, right. but but with with uh russell i i think a lot of it can kind of be been chalked up to just just standard teenage immaturity but when you look at like byron scott took you know nick young's side in this stuff and nick young was a guy who cheated on his fiance lou williams it was reported got up from a breakfast table that <laughs> d'angelo russell sat down at you know like mean like a scene from right Mills, right you know like, the Lakers were hilarious last year. <laughs> they really were. <laughs> it was the best show on TV. And, it, you know, from, from everybody who handled that situation, I thought Russell, when he stood up and he said, look, man, I'm really, really sorry. I'm, I, and he apologized from, you know, from dust to dawn about, you know, the stuff he pulled. And, yes, it's, it's highly possible that he was really hard to deal with. But I also notice how guys, you know, react to the stuff he does on the court. When he made the game winner against Philadelphia out there in summer league, the guys were were almost you know put right. him up on their shoulders. It was it was really cool. Now it was kind of weird when he kind of walked away from everybody, but he just seems to he seems to get everybody behind him to a certain extent. And and tonight when he's out there doing the stuff that he did, uh, and I guess we can kind of get back to the basketball side of this when he's out there doing the stuff that he does, uh, the 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 Lakers really seem to go as he goes in the first game. Uh, 
that the you know earlier this week was it Friday that they played? I think it was Friday, right? Or was it Thursday? Yeah, no, Friday. Um, when they played on Friday and Russell kind of started slowly, the Lakers started slowly. Right. And tonight, when he you know focused more on getting himself going and and played a little bit more comfortably, the Lakers looked a lot more comfortable out there. So I think the Lakers are going to go as he goes. And if you combine, you know, him not necessarily playing as badly as people say that he played last year with the natural step forward that sophomores take and then just not having to play with the guy that, you know, <laughs> not playing with Kobe and not playing for, for the right. last guy, I, I just uh, I think he's going to take a, a big step forward this year. And, and I'm, I'm really excited for the kid because I think he deserves some some positive headlines. So here, here's the thing about his game, you know, compared to Moutier. Moutier is not a threat to score, you know, at every moment when he has the ball in his hands. If he if he gets to turn a corner off of a pick and roll, then he's very dangerous. If he gets into the teeth of the defense, into the paint, he's very dangerous. He can collapse and kick out. D'Angelo Russell's kind of a threat to score every time he has the ball in his hands. So it makes it so hard to guard because he can pull up from the behind the three-point line or he could take one step inside and pull up. Or he can get past you and, and into the paint, and he has that nice floater and nice touch. So he's kind of – that's what makes him so tricky to, to defend is that you're kind of always in you, – you, when you're defending him, you have to always be ready for that shot to go up. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's what you kind of see right now. He has incredible feel in the pick and roll, but as soon as he turns the corner, the entire team has to realize, okay, he's about ready to score, score buckets. That's a valuable tool. Well, we talked – a lot during the finals, you know, you 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 thought uh, to a certain extent that Steph Curry deserved was it MVP last year or this year that you still well, thought? I, well, I thought last year, and then through like three games of the finals, I thought Steph Curry. I didn't think he deserved like a, the MVP, but I thought he was. People were being really hard on him because he only had twenty points or twenty three points, you know, per game. But yeah, when the entire team is worried about him shooting at any moment. Even if he doesn't score or get the assist, if his team scores because everyone's keyed in on him, that's that's very valuable. Right, and and I mean I don't know if you talk about gravity a lot with with your listeners, but Harrison and I don't really bring it up very much. But but yeah, I mean it's that's what it is. It's the perfect term out there that people are just kind of pulled to that kind of offensive threat. And everybody, not just one. And and here's one thing I'll say because D'Angelo didn't really have a great game in the first outing for the Lakers, right? No. The first the first game, mm-hmm. and then he had two monster games against the Nuggets. And here's one thing I'll say: the Nuggets have added this. I, I don't understand it. I can't wait to ask Coach Malone at practice tomorrow uh, a little bit about it. But they're dropping their bigs so far on the pick and roll <laughs> that so if space. if you can draw up a way for D'Angelo Russell to get points or any any shooter that can shoot off the dribble. If you could draw it up, that's how you would do it. You would just sink your bigs because it left him wide open to operate. I don't know what the Nuggets are thinking. He had 21, I think 21 points in the first game, and I went back and watched the film. 12 of the points came on Emmanuel Mudiay, Yusuf Nurkic pick and rolls, mm-hmm. where, where they just put him in it and he just kind of walked into open space and shot. So, is, it a, is it a foot speed thing, do you think, with Nurkic? Nurkic is so quick. I mean, he's... He's kind of like Andre Drummond in that he's a really weird athlete. He's huge. He's enormous in size and strength, but he's really, really nimble, like weirdly nimble. Mm-hmm. I've seen Nurkic contain, you know, the pick and roll when he shows. That's what I think he should be doing. He should be walking up to the three point line, not to guard the three point line, but just to make sure that D'Angelo doesn't get a pull up three, and then immediately retreating into the paint once Moutier recovers. That's not what he's doing. Instead, he's zoning up. And obviously it didn't work because 
D'Angelo had, what did he have tonight? 33? 33 on, uh, what was it? 33 points on 19 shots. Yeah. So he had, and then he had, I think he only had like one or two assists, but he actually had a handful of drop-offs to Mozgov who just blew the dunk or blew the layup or what have you. So he really worked that pick and roll incredibly, and I think he deserves a ton of credit because he's confident in his skill, and he he really did a great job of it. But I just don't understand what the Nuggets were doing with their pick and roll coverage. When do you guys play again next? When do the Lakers play next? Uh, man, you're putting me oh. on the spot. I think let me let me find it. They play. I'm just I'm just curious to see how he does in that game. I'm going to be following it really closely because you think it was has, a product or just poor scheme. I think it's I think it's both. Look, I'm I'm raving about D'Angelo because I think I was so impressed with just how he ran the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder if just a little bit better containment on pick and roll will make things harder. And maybe he doesn't score 33. Maybe he <laughs> scores 20 or so. Right. You know? So. Uh, let's see. So they play again on Tuesday. They play Portland again, or not? And Port- Portland's an interesting one because Stotts' teams now for four years or three years, however long it's been, plays a really, really. They play a strong, contained pick and roll scheme as well. So <laughs> I actually could see him going off in that one as well. They, they, they their bigs always drop on uh, drop on on pick and roll coverage as well. So. If you're a DFS player, I don't know if they have DFS for preseason, but <laughs> <laughs> preseason DFS, you got you got to get through. Ter- if you have gambling problems, <laughs> uh, no, no, but, no. I I do think well, it's kind of funny because you mentioned you mentioned Nurkic is is you know quickness and his his agility, especially for that size. But Ed Davis is actually pretty agile. Oh, I love Ed Davis. I'm, I love Ed Davis this year too. I, yeah, and and it, it's kind of weird that they would they would play so like if they go about you know containing D'Angelo with the same kind of coverage as, as Denver does, it doesn't make very much sense to me because well they have well, the horses I'll say to this. be able to make I'll say it work. This. Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum are much better at fighting over screens than Emmanuel Mudiay was. I think part of this again, I'm not picking on Nurk or Mudiay here. I think it was kind of a schematic thing that the Nuggets are trying out that didn't make sense, but um, I think. You know, Moutier really got hung up on screens a lot. It took him forever to recover. Kind of Nurkic was kind of sitting there for for like two seconds trying to contain it uh, or trying to zone up, which is too long. But then the other thing is they don't sink nearly as far as Gallo or as as Nurkic did. Nurkic was sinking like kind of like the Spurs were playing LeBron in the finals three years ago. He was like sinking like eight feet off of him. Mm-hmm. But this is D'Angelo Russell. He can shoot. Right, and and look, and he's not nearly the threat LeBron is in the key. Like it didn't well, make. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's move on though, because Nurkic, st- his counting stats were through the roof: twenty-one points, sixteen rebounds. He had a double double in the the night on, on Friday night as well. Um, what did you What do you think of his game, and what did you think uh, watching him? Well, the first thing that jumps out at you is just how big he is you know like, boy he was he, mozgov is no you know he's he's not skinny out there he's not and right. and nurkic was pretty easily getting position on on even mozgov and and mozgov not only is mozgov not small but he's you know he's pretty well known as at least a decent post defender right and yeah. Uh, and and Nurkic was just kind of I wouldn't say having his way with him, but if Nurkic really wanted position and he really worked for position, then it was just kind of his position. And then when the Lakers went small out there, that's when uh, the you guys started going on you know little mini runs. The Lakers tried to go a little small, and then 
just the the rebound battle just became almost unfair because Nurkic was able to get in there and kind of body up people whenever he wanted uh you know talk you know and, th- and that's kind of where the, the the counting stats came from the other thing that stood out to me I don't know if I was willing to I I wasn't really keeping my out eye out for his actual quickness and agility but I thought he hand checked really well and that's not me being you know like how dare the refs let him hand check but I thought he really used his size in those in those you know situations where he would switch out onto a guard because if the you know the one thing that bigs have the advantage on when they get into that switch is their length and you know my frustration when I see that switch happen is they kind of they crouch down and they try to play more like a guard where I'm just saying actually use your try using your length if you get called for a hand check or something like that you get called for a hand check and right. Nurkic you know I thought he used his hips really well in terms you know to keep to keep people in front uh, and that takes great footwork to be able to do that and then the angles that he took to to contest those situations at the rim were really good and and yeah when you talk you know you you were wondering about their their uh schematic you know what they were their their uh strategy in defending the pick and roll with how effective he was at keeping people in front of him it didn't it makes even less sense what they were trying to do and that's exactly the point like i'm actually I'm actually not critiquing Nurkic when I say this. I'm actually giving him credit. He's better than what I think Malone is trusting him to do mm-hmm. because he does move his feet so well. So I would love to see him, you know, have to to, to guard to guard that pick and roll a little bit more actively. Um, you mentioned the rebounds. The Nuggets out rebounded the Lakers tonight, fifty-four to twenty-nine, which is just a massive. And part of that was they shot a lot worse, but that's still a massive uh, dominance on the glass. Sixteen for Nurkic and. To your point about his size, you don't move him off. You, you talked about Mozgov had a hard time moving it off. He didn't move him off the block. Mm-hmm. If Nurkic gets that spot, then it's his. It's just you, you forfeit that spot. And that's one of the things that I think offensively for him to grow as a player, I think he needs to be more like Drummond where when he rolls to the rim, he just needs to, he needs to roll hard to anchor himself on the block for offensive rebounds, a little bit less for, for – you know, catching the ball on lobs or, or drop-offs and stuff to finish because he's not that great of a finisher. But if he can just roll to that block and own that spot, you can't push him off. He's mm-hmm. he's almost guaranteed the offensive rebound, um, you know, or at least he's, he's guaranteed to anchor right there. So that's what I'd like to see him do. That, that's how I'd like to see him evolve his game a little bit more offensively. Well, quick question about Nurkic. How was he last year in terms of foul trouble? Like, was he, I mean, he, he spent a lot of time kind of hurt or dinged up a little bit, as I remember last year. But in terms, when he was healthy, how did he deal with foul stuff? Is the exact same. I think his rookie season, he averaged 6.6 fouls per 36 minutes. And then last year, it was six fouls per 36 minutes. Um, so it's pretty much the same, uh, minor improvement. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be a big issue for him too, and that might be why Malone is making him play such a conservative pick and roll defense, is because yeah. he's just trying to keep him out of foul trouble. But the thing is, his fouls are not coming on pick and roll defense. His tra- fouls are coming on the offensive end, in transition, and just really. And then thirdly, would be really, really stupid fouls that are just kind of like he had one today, ninety feet from the basket, yeah, uh, for no reason. So I think, uh, I think his. I th- I think if you broke down his fouls by what type they were, very, very few of them are coming in pick-and-roll situations or even in half-court situations. 
Right. Uh, yeah, and 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 that's <laughs> it, that's the worst part. I remember when Shaq used to pick up a foul on the other end of the court, and I, I remember just sitting there like, dude, yeah. you know, just cut this out. <laughs> yeah. Like, what's what's even the point of that? Now, sometimes Shaq would even say that some of the points of that was just to kind of give himself a break, you know, from running up and down the court because Nurkic is a big dude. Yeah, you know, and 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 Shaq obviously was a, a giant, and yeah. and so to a certain extent, and I think sometimes you see those fouls with like Boogie, uh, that are you know you kind of scratch your head like what are you doing there? And I think it's more of like a, honestly, I really need to catch my breath right now, and right if and if, I think that's a big part of it with him too. By the way, I mean yeah. he's just a big boy. I think sometimes he gets winded and makes worse decisions. Right, and so I think uh, yeah, I I think if. If I'm alone and I'm and I'm hoping that Nurkic can play, you know, what do you think he'll play? Twenty five to thirty minutes a game, not much more than thirty, right? So here I'm going to have to go. This is this is a loaded question for me, and I want it, but I want to get into it. Uh-huh. So first of all, you know, I, I've critiqued Nurkic a little bit over the last couple weeks, and any type of critique for your for the team that you're writing about just is perceived as a complete slight. So Nuggets fans are kind of like. There's a there's a segment of Nuggets fans I think that are that have now labeled me a Nurkic hater, which is just absurd. He's probably like my fourth or fifth favorite Nugget on this team. I mean, he's he's a top prospect at the center position, one of the top prospects. Mm-hmm. But one of the things about him is that that worries me is that he's a guy. There, there's two types of players I think uh, offensive players. There's guys that shots just find them or that that find shots. They're the ball's always in their hands, so they're always putting up field goal attempts. And then there's guys that find shots when the offense is is running properly then they're they're in the right spot for the right types of shots Nurkic when he's on the court is getting shots sometimes Mm -hmm. to the detriment of other players meaning like you you run a set and it just ends up in his hand because he's always in the spot where the ball's going to finish and that's not necessarily a good thing this is this can be a bad thing some there's a lot of high high volume scorers that this is what happens, but the team is worse for it. Now I rooted for Kobe I, for for twenty years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kobe, you never watch Kobe and like, man, Kobe's really hidden out there. You know, haven't heard from Kobe for a while. Like that never happened. Right. right? When he's on the court, the ball is just there, and that. And I think this is kind of one of the big differences between Nurkic and Jokic is that Jokic is when the offense is humming, he's the ball is finding him, and and he's making plays and this and that. When the when the offense is not humming, he can be hidden, and you can be like, "Well, where's Jokic? What happened? You know, we haven't heard his name for a while." Nurkic, when he's on the court, is the ball is always in his hands, and so the thing I worry about is I want I'm really curious to see how Malone handles that how handles that dynamic because too much Nurkic. What's the <laughs> what's what, man? I'm gonna I'm gonna mess up this uh, this little the metaphor. Gosh dang it! <laughs> I was gonna say too much Nurkic spoils the spoils the offense. Okay. Do you, do you know what is the little saying I'm trying to think? Too much sugar. I have, I have the no, I don't know. <laughs> no idea where you're going. I, I was gonna, honestly the the for a good portion of the time we've been having this conversation, I was thinking to myself like the really pro Nurkic people. Like, are they called nerd kitches? Or is oh my that? Gosh. Is oh that... my god! I forgot to introduce you as like the worst pun maker on on the internet, not just on Twitter, but on the internet. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's so easy. So anyway, you asked about minutes. I think his right minutes would probably be around 22 minutes a game. That's what that's what I think he's probably going to be best at. Um, but I do wonder if he's he's going to be a guy that Malone kind of leans on more and more and more as the season goes on, and he's up into the 30 minutes a game. I think that would be a mistake. 
If it were me, I'd be playing Jokic probably 30 minutes and Nurkic about 22, and then probably playing four or five minutes in a small ball lineup with somebody like Darrell Arthur or Fareed at center. But mm-hmm. um, but we'll see. Yeah, I, but, it's t- it's tough with him because it's so like the 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 the, the typical thinking with somebody like him is like. Yeah, he looks like such an efficient scorer because he's so big and he's so easy to get close to the rim. But yeah, I mean, sometimes you fall into that, you fall into the trap of that looks really easy and you're going for two pointers where you probably should be trying for the for the corner three a little bit more. And and the one thing, the one criticism I think I have of him, and and I might be completely off base because I haven't watched very much of him, but he's not the greatest at passing out of the double team from what I've seen. He's a really good passer in like controlled settings, I think. Like he's really good at passing from the elbows. But like you said, sometimes he gets sped up. He had a what did he have today? He had a, three turnovers, not not horrible, but he had a, a handful of just kind of silly forced turnovers today. Yeah. So, but, like, but I, know, I'd like to I'd like that's like a guy that has twenty one points on ten shots tonight. Like he had a really really efficient night mm-hmm. tonight. Nine of twelve from the free throw line. So, uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not yeah I'm not I I, I do like him and you know. Especially if he is agile enough to really, because that's the one concern you have with bigs like Nurkic is can they keep up with the the pick and roll pace and space kind of play? Uh, and my you know my only thing is if you can't if he can't you know if he finds himself consistently sped up in those double team situations where he can't find if not the assist the actual assist but the hockey assist that leads to the guy in the you know being open in the corner. That's when you start to to worry a little bit about a big, but he's really young, right? Like he's only yeah. in his third year. Yeah. Oh no, he's super young. He has a and and not only that, he was injured part of his first year. He was injured a big part of his second year, so he doesn't have a lot of mileage on him to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's keep it moving. Let's go to let's talk about your guy Julius Randall, um, who and we can talk about Larry Nance as well. Kind of pair them together. Um, That's the popular I, thing out here. The pair of those guys. I'm. I, we talked a little bit briefly, so I kind of know which way you lean on this. But I'll say this: a lot of the smart, smartest people are people whose whose opinions I respect the most. Um, you know, guys that work in front offices. Some of the, some of my favorite writers are really low on Julius Randall, and just kind of feel he has an overrated skill set or what have you. This is a this is an instance where I'm actually a little bit opposite of of a lot of the people that I agree with mo- most of the time, and that. I like his skill set a lot. It's not a perfect skill set, and he has a few things that that are probably overrated, but I think he has such a unique skill set that he can be used properly. And I think I think Luke Walton is going to figure out how to use him properly, and he's going to have a very good year, especially more especially towards the end of the year. I think uh, I, th- I think he's going to really turn some heads. Tonight I thought – actually, in both Friday and this game, I thought he looked really, really great in times running the break, kind of showing off. Uh, his handle in the open court, and then he went up against Nurkic, who probably has him by sixty pounds, and like didn't back down. He posted him up a few times. He's um, strong as an ox. Like, that's the one thing. Randall, Randall is yeah. He, it's kind of funny. You kind of watch him play up against you know some of the vets, especially. I mean, obviously in his rookie, his actual rookie year, he played fourteen minutes and broke his shin. Um. But in his second year, he would go up against you know vets, big vets, you know the the Zach Randolphs, the you know the Boogies or whatever, and he would just throw himself in there, throw his body around, utilize his strength, and you kind of, I mean, especially if you're really watching, sometimes they'll pan to the guy who just you know committed the foul, 
and you'll kind of get that look on their face like, oh boy, (laughs) I did not anticipate that kind of physicality. And and I saw that throughout the year from Randall. And tonight was another example where Nurkic, like you said, or like we've talked about, is really big. And Randall was just kind of, you know, he'd seal him or whatever. Last night was, uh, not last night, um, they played the Kings before they played the Nuggets, which I think was like on a Wednesday or something. Mm-hmm. And poor Omri Caspi was, was charged with defending Randall in the post. Huh, and, and and Randall like he wound up getting a, an offensive foul, but I think it was almost on accident. You know, like mm-hmm. he, he just felt a fly on him, and he just kind of like waved his arms out, and there went Omri Caspi. And and uh, it was just because he, he's just that physical of a dude. And and yeah, I, I I want to agree with you. My concern with Randall is he he tends to over dribble by a dribble or two consistently, and I'd like to see him fix that. Yeah. My concern actually with both of them is just that they're not that great of rebounders. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Randall, I guess, is, is probably a better rebounder by a wide margin. But Larry Nance, let me see, what did he have tonight? One rebound in 17 minutes. That's a lot of time to be on the floor to collect one rebound, especially at his size and athleticism. Mm-hmm. Um, here's what I'd say about the two. Randall's a guy that has a ton of skills, but not all of them are useful. Nance is a guy that has like two skills, but they're both useful. Mm-hmm. And so and sometimes it's almost good to have that because it's more focused. Kenneth Fareed's this way a little bit. When, Kenneth Fareed doesn't have a ton of skills, but he does a couple things really well. And if you can set things up for him so that that's all he has to do, he's very effective. It's when it's when he's forced to do other things that, that you know, there can be problems. But yeah. I really like Randall, though. I think – I. I'm not I'm not he's not like my number one choice to have a breakout year by any means or anything like that but if you were to ask me you know is he going to have a positive you know positive growing you know his stock going to be rising this year or falling I'm going to say it's going to be rising this year. Yeah no that's that's I think that's kind of the case with all the Lakers because <laughs> it was so toxic last season. Yeah, <laughs> it was so, it's true. Like, How- the more I watch basketball, the more I realize that's how it is, though. You know, like you realize the environments really affect the people's performance and development, and that that stuff matters. The coach matters. The teammates matter. I mean, just like a boogie, like I, it, yeah. I'm still waiting for him to be in a non-toxic situation, right? I, I feel bad for the guy, and there's so many hot takes about boogie about, you know, he, he's he's not going to get you here. He's not going to do this. He's not going to do that. He's He's always angry at referees and stuff. If I was Boogie, I'd be angry at everybody. He's gonna he's gonna be, look really good on the Warriors here in a year. Or so <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna say he's gonna look great as a Laker when they oh, flip. When they oh, flip uh, but that's I mean that's like everybody in the league. Everybody's gonna look great as a Laker. That's true. Oh, gosh, <laughs> Laker fans really are the worst. I have no problem saying that whatsoever. <laughs> They're easily the worst fan base in all in all of basketball. Hey, at least our team. And is I say that as somebody, the... I say that as somebody that lived in LA for two years, and loved LA, loved it. Laker fans were the worst, though. <laughs> um, I, I, I I relish in I relish in the title. Like, I really do. I I'm the guy who will sarcastically just post, you know, Kobe better. Even if it's like baseball, all right. <laughs> but hey, anywho, look, what I was going to say, what I was going to ask you actually with Randall was, you, you you mentioned how he has all the you know the skills. Like he he's a good passer. Uh, you, you worry about his rebounding, but defensively for me is where I'm concerned because 
Yeah. I, he's, he, his arms aren't very long. His feet are really active on, off, on, on offense, but defensively, his feet aren't all that active and his instincts aren't all that great. I, I, I had mentioned to you that I think Nance fits better with the, with the starting unit because uh, he doesn't need the ball as much to be successful compared to Randall. Mm-hmm. Am I am I am I overthinking that, or you know, do you just want the most no. talent with that with that unit as possible, or do you would you would you ride with the theory? Again, it doesn't. I don't think that stuff matters. There's just differences, but not not necessarily one's better. It's about how you can use those differences. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I would say is, you know, obviously Julius Randle gets a lot of comparisons to uh, um, Draymond Green, which I think. I think on one side of the ball, it's actually an okay comparison. On, on offense, I think it's an okay comparison. On defense, it's not even close. But um, laughable. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but offensively, I think. I mean, I wonder if Luke Walton will use the one-four pick and roll a little bit specifically to get Draymond running downhill, or Draymond <laughs> to get Julius running downhill, Freudian and, slip. and things like that. And that's and and that's kind of the stuff I think I watching him I'm I'm thinking you know what he's a guy that at the power forward position can kind of push the offense and and can kind of be like the go-to point for short stretches obviously D'Angelo's your guy but um but for short stretches he can kind of run the offense from the power forward position and that's just a powerful tool um but as you mentioned this wasn't a defensive series but the the Friday game in this one it was 124-115 tonight that's <laughs> That's a track meet. Even by preseason standards, that's a track meet and a pretty sloppy defensive game. And it wasn't even in Denver. Like usually, you think of those games <laughs> like those scores are like going on in Denver. Yeah, no, no, this was Ontario. <laughs> um, <laughs> which, by the way, Ontario. I'm, I'm just like, I'm just insulting LA left and right. But Ontario's like, why do people live there? <laughs> it's like it's like an hour and a half from the ocean. You know, it's hot. It's like a suburb. It's just like a giant suburb. I well, mean, uh, I, I think it's mostly because you can buy land for like a, a stake. Like you, can, you can like you can buy land for like five dollars an acre. Because nobody wants it. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so let's 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 move on here to the last one. I think unless you have somebody else, but I wanted to ask you about Jamal Murray. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought he had he had a really good Friday, albeit it came mostly in garbage time against the Lakers' third string. But uh, what did you think from him over the last two games? The thing that I noticed the most with him, and, and it's kind of generic because you think about this with all scorers, right, is that he's just really good at creating angles to get a shot off. Like yeah. I, was watch, I was watching this with, with Lou, and Lou Williams is like really is, – is, you know, everybody knows you know the thing with Lou is he's going to draw fouls. But right. on plays where he doesn't draw it, like he kind of steps back you know, at awkward positions to, to create a little bit of space for himself. And Jamal is is taller. He's six four compared to Lou. I think who's like six two ish. Yeah. Uh. But but Jamal, I I the the thing I like the most about him is just yeah. I mean he's just he's just really good at creating space for himself. And that's my concern with guys like uh, who was the guy that uh, was it the Wolves drafted? Um. No, the Pelicans drafted. Who's their top pick this uh, year? Buddy Buddy Held. Buddy Held. Yeah. When I watched him play in Vegas, he was never able to create space for himself. When he was yeah. taking shots, it was always highly contested. And uh, Jamal, you just kind of look at him and and you know you kind of blink and whoop, he has a you know a, six inches to a foot more space than you anticipate. And that in and of itself is a is a huge skill for him. Now, the issue with him is. I don't know necessarily what role he's going to play on on the Nuggets because you already have uh, Will Barton, 
who is, yeah he's the six man high volume come in and score get buckets up yeah yeah the 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 what's the what's Simmons term for it the the guy irrational that, confidence yeah irrational confidence guy like yeah. Will Barton is that guy for for the uh, for the for the Nuggets so I don't know necessarily sure. if there's too much space for for Jamal Murray to step in and, and do that as much but. You know, if if you if you're dying for offense and and Barton just doesn't really have it going, it's nice to have another guy that you can kind of look at and say, "All right, go out there and shoot four or five times. Let's see what happens." The thing I take away from Jamal Murray so far through three preseason games is that he belongs in the NBA right now. Mm-hmm. Like you, I watched Malik Beasley and Juan Hernan and Gomez, and they have moments and they look good from stretches, but they kind of look like the NBA level is a level ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Like by the end of the year, they'll probably be acclimated. Jamal Murray, I think, is already ready for the NBA, albeit probably in more of like a 10 to 15 minute per game role. Um, but I think he can go out there and fit in just fine. And that's and that's and so I th- I do think he'll be a big part of the rotate. Not a big part. I do think he'll be a part of the rotation to start the season. He's only um, 19. Like if you're saying, yeah, if you're if you're able to say that about a 19 year old, then you know, that's a damn good draft pick. Oh yeah, the 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 learning curve for 19 year olds is just through the roof. So. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm really impressed with Jamal Murray. I I like him more every single day, every single minute he's on the court. He shows me something new, and uh, so I'm 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 pretty excited for him. He does have his flaws defensively. Um, you know, I think he has his ups and downs, but offensively, he is a guy that can just get buckets. And like you said, he can get his shot off, which is he doesn't he doesn't create a ton of space, but he he doesn't need a ton of space to get a get a get a look and to make his shot. So right. Well, I think. For guys like this is kind of this kind of goes unnoticed with smaller scorers, is that they're used to scoring up you know against you know longer defenders, better athletes, right. whatever, yeah. and and he's he's just another example of somebody who's accustomed to doing that kind of thing, and when you go to the NBA, like the num- the thing I look for in, in draft picks especially you know high ceiling guys is all right what can they do when they get to the nba like is there one thing that they can just lean on at any moment and for him it's i can get my shot off you know and and i can i not only can i get my shot off but you know six seven times out of ten it's going to be a pretty good look and and you know like you mentioned uh hernan gomez I didn't. I watched him tonight, and I I had a I because I knew I was going to talk to you, and I knew you were a big fan of of what's his name, Wancho out there, Wancho, Wancho, Wancho Villa. But he, uh, I I watch him, and I'm not positive was he what he's really going to lean on in the NBA. You know, I not not well, to the same well, extent that Murray is. Nine rebounds. I mean, he's 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 a guy that's just like an incredible rebounder. I think that'll be a big part of his calling, but you're right. I mean, he, with both Wancho and, and Malik, they're guys that it's going to take a full year to kind of see, to see where they are, how they grow, what their skill sets are, because they're not, their skill sets, they don't have, they're not dominant in any one skill that you say, Oh, he can make a living doing that in the NBA. Um, but I do like him. I'm still very high on him and 13 points, nine rebounds, almost a double double in 25 minutes. I thought it was pretty, pretty good. Mm-hmm. No, um, I, 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 I guess for the most part I liked what I saw, but I, I just I watched him, especially on offense. And I guess I pay a lot more attention to guys, especially because like I'm I'm there to watch the Lakers more than anybody. Right. Uh, and you know when I watched him trying to create shots for himself, I just didn't see the same kind of space that you would like to see. Now he's longer, so he doesn't need as much space, nearly as much space. He's so tall. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, I, I like to see a little bit more space for him. 
Yeah, let's move on to the last guy here, Brandon Egram, because he's such an interesting one. And before we even get into the thoughts, what is what are what's the pulse in Lakerland? Because I know everybody likes to give hot takes and panic or exaggerate things after preseason, but what are, what are people thinking of Brandon Ingram? He had four points tonight, two rebounds. What, what's the pulse out there in Lakerland? Well, the other night the pulse was that how dare the Lakers give him Kobe's locker, which was I found oh, I found, oh, I found oh, that yeah. funny on Twitter. Like, I just I couldn't help but laugh because like if they don't they're gonna give... retire a locker. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what's, what's hilarious and <laughs> so they give Ingram Kobe's actual locker and then they gave Avica Zubats Kobe's suit locker like Kobe had two oh my God, he had a different locker <laughs> he had a separate locker for his oh. suits oh my and, gosh anywho oh my <laughs> so I found I found that pretty hilarious but like what I was the point I was making on Twitter and and you know, it, 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 you know, it. On one hand, it's like, how can this not be a story? And I think it's a cool one, but I don't necessarily think it's necess- anything to freak out about. But like, if they don't give the locker to to Ingram or to Russell or to Clarkson or to Randall, right? If they don't give Kobe's locker to any of those guys, the the headlines are, oh, the Lakers don't see any of the kids as you know worthy of Kobe's footprint you know or whatever you know have, they have you been in, have you been in the lakers locker room what's that have you been in the, inside the lakers locker room no no i i'm banned the lakers don't <laughs> like me very much <laughs> oh i can see why no but i'm, I'm is is kobe's locker different than every other locker i mean is it just positioned in a certain place or is it an actual like difference like it's a walk-in closet or something <laughs> from what i've heard it's it's like a corner spot you know it's like the it's a corner lot right this yeah, is like no, real estate it's, transaction. Like, exactly. it's like the <laughs> it's like the cul-de-sac that everybody hopes to own at some point <laughs> it's walking distance to the grocery store it's phenomenal yeah no traffic yeah Ubers um, drive right by it all the time yeah. so this uh, is silly because honestly man somebody has to have like the nuggets locker room you know it's a it's a circle and there's just lockers everywhere. And anybody could have any locker, basically. So this idea that there's one locker that's more important than any other locker in yeah. there is just absurd. <laughs> I was, I was, it's I, a circle. I was going, I was going on, you know, I, was, I, 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 you know I, I love Matt. Like Matt, Matt Moore is among the nicest people that you'll ever meet. He's great. He's done great things for all kinds of careers out there. And he, yeah. he and I just happen to disagree on this. And it's like, I want to know if Ben Simmons has Allen Iverson's locker. You know, I want to know if I want to know if if Marcus Smart has Bob Cousy's locker. <laughs> Jeez, I, I, you know the Celtics I, have now. You know how many jerseys they retire? There'd be no locker room space. There'd be, the entire team would be sharing two lockers because that's the only lockers that aren't retired. If they retired lockers, yeah. Did did Paul Pierce have Larry Bird's locker? And then after Paul Pierce, did like Al Horford inherit? Carnets. I just I don't know, but yeah. yeah I, the, the thing with Ingram out here is, uh, and this is something I actually credit Laker fans with, and it's kind of a circumstantial thing because with Russell, there was a lot of debate: should they go with Okafor? Should they go with Russell? Should they go with, you know? And 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 a lot of people wanted, a lot of people out here just flat out thought that the Lakers were going to draft Russell because he's a center, and the Lakers historically have always had the center guy. And they go with Russell, and, you know, a lot of the hot takery was, oh, well, you know, look at what Russell's doing out there in Philly, to which I said he's not really doing much. And 
nowadays, you know, it was it was Simmons who was the, you know, easy number one pick that everybody wanted. And then it was Ingram was the easy number two pick. And then from there, just kind of everybody right. else kind of fell by the wayside. So Ingram slid into an easy situation as is. And then on top of that, they signed the wall dang, which eases pressure off of Ingram even further because he doesn't have to step in and be the, you know, carry this mantle of, of I have to be the, the, the face of the franchise right away, or I have to start right away, or if I'm not rookie of the year or in rookie of the year consideration, I'm I'm seen as a bust. So I think the Lakers have set him up for for some success with the exception of, you know, there's a lot of Kevin Garn or Kevin Durant you know, buzz and right. <laughs> they're comparing him to Kevin Durant, to which I say, let's, let's, let's pump the brakes a bit. Kevin Durant is probably the, 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 the best scorer I've ever seen in my life. Kevin Durant was really skinny when he came in as a 19 year old to Seattle. Mm-hmm. He was nowhere near as weak as Brandon Ingram is. And, and let me say this. I really, really like Brandon Ingram. I think he's going to be, a, I think he's going to be a player. I think he's going to be good. Uh-huh. I think it's going to take three years before you start to see that. Uh, you know, one full year of just kind of a lot of bench minutes, a lot of like really, really bad numbers, uh, a second year where there's like signs of promise and this and that, and a third year where he actually starts to become a player and people start to realize. But he is maybe the weakest player I've ever seen in the NBA, like physically weakest. Some of the takes he had today where he would get fouled, but had like, he actually, it's funny because he actually finished an and one on kind of a trick shot. That, that was actually pretty impressive. But he had so many other ones where he took it to the hole and just like had no chance of getting the shot off because a guy would just like easily hold his arm and he had no hope of escaping it. Yeah. He had he had a he tried to dunk on Boogie the other night, which was pretty funny. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I found I the found strength that difference between those two. But look at <laughs> so let's go Kevin Durant's rookie season. I know you don't like the comp, but obviously it's the best comp just because they're so their bodies are so they similar. Look so similar. Shooter. Yeah. But Kevin Durant, first season, 28%, 29% three-point shooter. His very next year, 42. That's just such a huge leap. And then he was kind of in that upper 30s the rest of his career, or 40s the rest of his career. Mm-hmm. But that first year, 20, 29%. I think with Ingram, I think you're going to see the exact same thing. He's going to shoot bad percentages, especially, I mean, his three-point percentage might be as good as his two-point percentage because he's just so weak inside that yeah. it's so hard for him to finish anything. But I think you're going to see numbers like that. But I'm really high, so I'm, I'm I'm saying all these bad things about him. I'm really high on him. I think he's he's good at the stuff that is hardest to learn, yeah. And the stuff that's easiest to learn, like putting on strength, is probably the easiest thing to do in the NBA because that's all your job is. You have train you have a training staff that who's just there to like give you protein shakes and make you do push-ups. <laughs> so like I think he's that part is going to come to him. But his just his fluidity, his ball handling skills, his shot. Um, his footwork that stuff's already there do you I made this I made the comparison tonight and again different players altogether but his release reminds me of Dirk uh, he, he has a pretty high release it's kind of slow it's kind of you know it, 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 it takes him a while to get the ball off but because he's so tall and because he releases the ball from so high I don't think it necessarily matters as much uh, now Dirk was uh, Light Dirk years, light years ahead of him in terms of like shooting and and all of those things. Dirk's really freaking good, obviously. 
but but I, I watched him shoot tonight, and guys kind of close out to him quickly, and, and I think like he hasn't shot the ball very well at all in the preseason. It's It's been kind of a story out here. Yeah. And I, I think to a large extent, it's because he just he's not ready for for NBA speed, like NBA game speed. I mean, you you know this, yeah. It's insane. Like those guys are just the, they're superhuman out there, and and for him, he's another nineteen twenty year old, and and I just don't think he's quite ready yet for 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 that. And I don't think it's necessarily a, a knock on him. He's, who who is ready for that at, at nineteen or twenty? And especially him. Some guys are a little bit more physical, but he, yeah, he's three for fifteen on the season so far and three preseason games. So mm-hmm. he'll have, I think, he'll have a really, really, really bad year by every statistical measure. But I, if I was a Laker fan, I just would probably chalk that one up right now and just say it's going to be a long, slow process. But his his upside is just so high. You don't see guys with his height and his, you know, his skill, his skill set too often. So I think it'll come. And, and that's why they that's why they signed Dang. You know, right. they, I think they, I think they kind of knew what they were getting into with 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 Ingram, and then eventually when they're when they're the you know the great three four combo that they can possibly be, then the Lakers can can use the hashtag Dangram, Dangram, yeah, Dangram. Okay, and make that. Yeah, you guys can use that one if you like. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's about it. I think um, yeah, we touched on most of the young guys. Jordan Clarkson, we didn't, but we kind of talked beforehand. It was. Um, he didn't really stick out, I don't think, too much. And plus, his game's a little bit more known now with him being in the league for a little bit longer. So mm-hmm. we'll kind of gloss over him. But uh, but yeah, a lot of young talent on this nugget are on, on these two teams. And with the Moutier and D'Angelo kind of built-in rivalry, I think it'll be fun to kind of watch these guys go back and forth. Hopefully, for years and years to come. Well, I like uh, the I like the Moutier D'Angelo you know pseudo rivalry, and I like the I like the Gary Harris Jordan Clarkson rivalry. Like those mm. guys kind of go at each other a little bit too. Like they enjoy playing against each other, and that's fun to watch as well. Yeah, that'll be good. That'll be a good backcourt rivalry for for years and years to come. Hopefully, hopefully mm-hmm. for years and years to come. So, uh, Anthony, anything else you want to plug before you go? Uh, just just at Locked On Lakers. Just just follow the show and and tune into that stuff. Harrison and I record daily, and and uh, we we find you know weird ways to talk about the to talk about the stuff and. Uh, yeah, I'm at Anthony Irwin LA. If you if you loved all the puns that I talked about tonight, make sure you follow me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> he is a very punny guy. Yeah. Uh, a- Anthony, thanks so much, man, for joining me. It was, it was fun. I, I enjoy talking to you all the time. Uh, Adam, let's let's do this a little more. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to the Pickaxe Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com. Connect with others who work for themselves. Connect with like minds, new ideas, and fellow creators. Connect with innovators, industry experts, mentors, and potential partners. Connect with risk takers. Connect with opportunity and new possibilities. Connect with your inner leader, explorer, or inventor. Connect with what your business needs to succeed at QuickBooks Connect. Join us November 6th at the San Jose Convention Center. QuickBooks Connect, backing your path to success. Register now at QuickBooksConnect.com. Connect with others who work for themselves. Connect with like minds, new ideas, and fellow creators. Connect with innovators, industry experts, mentors, and potential partners. Connect with risk takers. Connect with opportunity and new possibilities. Connect with your inner leader, explorer, or inventor.
Connect with what your business needs to succeed at QuickBooks Connect. Join us November 6th at the San Jose Convention Center. QuickBooks Connect, backing your path to success. Register now at QuickBooksConnect.com.